My goodness gracious, maybe 150%. Come on, Brian, let's stop thinking like a man. <laughs> I thought you was above the notch. But I, I see what tiny faith. And the reason I say that, I think about Isaiah and Elijah and Elisha, all those. I think about Elisha when Elijah and him were uh, running around out there. Elisha began to see the mighty things that God was doing through his prophet Elijah. And whenever he said, I'm fixing to go back, I'm going to heaven. The chariots of God are coming to get me. He said, I'm going with you. He said, okay, you can go with me if you want to. It's going to be a really tough place to go, but you can go with me if you want to go. He said, I want a double anointing of what you've had. Double. Well, Elijah saw eight miracles in his life. It's recorded in the Word of God. Elisha had great faith. He wanted a double portion. And he saw 16 miracles in his life. Oh, how we limit God with our manly thinking. I lived there most of my life. And now then I've stepped into a new place. Forget this nonsense of the world. If Elijah had eight miracles, I don't want a double portion. I, so little as 16? Why, goodness gracious alive, I can think whenever I first stepped into this world of faith, Brian, and I can remember one year whenever <clears throat> somebody asked me at a Christmas party or a New Year's Eve party, whatever it was, when I was still a member of the Baptist Church. Well, Thurman, what has God done in your life this year? Wow, I said he can't get no better than this. I've seen God do a half a dozen healings this year. Wow, a half a dozen. Isn't that awesome? He can't get no better than that. Oh, you of little faith. <laughs> you of little faith. I have seen the Lord do more than that in a matter of an hour. I mean, I've seen him heal more people at, at a healing school. I've seen him do mighty things. In fact, the man that came to the healing school yesterday, he pulled out a letter said, Pastor Thurman on it said, uh, this lady said she couldn't be here this time, but she wanted me to give this to you. Okay. When I got home last night, I opened it up. I read it. A one-page letter. She said, praise the Lord for your ministry. She had uh, warts on her feet. said, I've had them frozen off and burned off four times. And they come back every time. But she said, I came to your healing school, you prayed for them, and they're gone. All I can say is, praise God. And then she told me some other disease she had. And she said, you prayed for that, and it's gone too. And I thought, well, oh, us of tiny faith. What tiny faith we have. I know I lived there most of my life. So I don't want anybody this morning to be in agreement with Brian's 1%. <laughs> Let's step out there. If we're going to be a faith church bride, let's believe you for a hundred percent, okay? Let's believe at least a hundred percent. Nothing less than a hundred percent. I mean, God is a faith God. Now, just think. We get to heaven one day, and He'll say, well, if that's all y'all believe for was the world could do a half and I could do one, gee, what a shame. I was going to really build y'all a church over there. I was really going to do something great. And y'all could only believe me for 1% of 10,000. You know, that's not very much, is it? Wow. So let's believe him. Let's step out. 
Let's believe God. Let's stop thinking like men. Let's start thinking like God. Let's don't limit the king. I mean, he can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can even think or imagine. And this is what's wrong with us today in the church. I mean, I know I was a normal Christian most of my life, and I thought like man. But I've realized that when you begin to think just a little bit like God, wow, what you can see the king do. I mean, just think. <clears throat> if I had a thought like a man, nearly four years ago when my grandbaby was laying there on that bed when I walked into Cook's Medical Center, one of the finest doctors walked up and told me, you know, the pressure on her brain is 20. Well, I don't know what that means. I'm not a doctor. And he said, well, that doesn't mean it's critical. That means it's critical, critical. And he said, she's going to die any second. I'm going to tell you, the average Christian will just buy what that doctor said. They'll take what he said. And I said, no, she's not going to die. That little girl's going to get up off of that bed, and she's going to run and play, and there's not going to be one single scar on her face. Her face is tore all to pieces. Her skull is busted in five places, with a hole busted plumb through her head in the front. I mean, she had a pretty good impact. Her little face lay in there, swelled twice its size, lacerated cut, all the bones crushed around her he said the, when her face hit the seat in front of her, it crushed all the bones around her eyes. So it didn't do any damage to the eyes, but he said uh, the bones and everything in the face are all crushed. And we don't even know what all's wrong with her internally because she's bleeding everywhere. Blood's running out her eyes, ears, nose, mouth, everywhere. Had tubes plugged in her nose about that long, and they were already solid blood. And they had one plugged in her mouth about that long, and it was already solid blood. She was a mess looking laying there. If you went by what you saw... You're going to lose this case. But this is where you've got to think like God. You've got to believe these promises. At this point, it's too late to begin to walk holy with what we're going to talk about in Psalms 1 today. It's too late to start that. You've got to start it in a long time ago. Because when you come to a point like that, and that's what happens. So many people are brought to me today, church people. People have been in church all their life. They've already had one, two, or three surgeries. they got cancer, brain tumors, who knows what. And now then they're two-thirds semi-conscious, and they want me to build their faith so they can get healed. It's a little late to start trying to build people's faith at that point. You need to have your faith built while you're young. You need to study this book. To know who you are. Because if you don't, when the devil comes by your house, you're going to be in big trouble. Because he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. So you can't wait. You've got to realize this book is an owner's manual. It's a law book. The greatest law in history I hold in my hand. This is the only law book in the world that will never be changed. Nobody can change it. Nobody can change anything in this book. And there's a, there is something in this book that when you read it, in fact, right there, I'm going to go back to a scripture. And I want to read this to you. I want you to go to Leviticus chapter 5. This is a pretty big book. It's got a lot of stuff in it. 
Leviticus chapter 5, verse 17. Now then, I realize that there's a lot of law books out here that we, we live by every day. And one of the law books that we live by is written by the IRS. And that book is about three feet thick now, I think. There's not a human being alive on the face of the earth today that can know all the rules of the IRS. And then they change them every year. Well, there's no way you can keep up with it. But this book don't change. This book always remains the same. It's just like trying to keep up with the laws of the land just in the state of Texas. You can't do it. I remember one year when I built a little trailer for my son to haul a lawnmower down to DFW Airport to mow yards, mow places of business. I had to have something for him to do, so I built him a trailer, and, and uh, he was going to mow these big yards down there at the DFW Airport, and he'd make some money while he's going to college. So I checked and found out that a little trailer pulling at daytime didn't need safety change and didn't need any lights on it, so I built it like that. And he used it for years. And then here just a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, he was going down there to mow one day, and a police officer stopped him. And he gave him a ticket. No safety change and no turn signals. So I contacted the county, and I told him, I said, you know, this officer obviously gave me this law, gave me this, my son, this ticket in error. He said, what do you mean? I said, it says you've got to have safety chains. And you've got to have turn signals. But I said, this is a little tiny trailer, only four by six. And I said, we were pulling it in the daytime. He said, no, two years ago, the law changed. Now you have to have two safety chains on every trailer, regardless of the size. And you have to have turn signals and stoplights even in the daytime. I said, I didn't know that. So... It cost my son, that day he went down there and mowed a big yard, made $150, and those two tickets cost him $200. So he didn't come out too good that day. Been better off we'd have stayed at home. <clears throat> but here's a law book. And this book never changes. But I'm going to show you, for those of us that don't read it, like I didn't for many years of my life, one day I read this scripture in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 17. And if a soul sin and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he know it not, yet is he guilty, and he shall bear his iniquity. That's an awesome statement, you know. <clears throat> the king holds you accountable for every word in his book even though you don't know it. Just like me. I didn't know on the laws of the land. I thought I did. But since I didn't, but they had changed. But praise God, this law never changes. When you read this one and you get this in your heart, if he says it's not good that anybody should steal, if he said that 5,000 years ago, this year it's not going to be okay to steal. It's still going to be the same sin, the same punishment, and he don't change. Obviously, mankind don't know these things. Mankind does not know that he's accountable to this divine God, to this law that he wrote 
This is everybody. This is everybody. This is not just the saved people. This is everybody. The thing about it is, at the end of your life, while you're here, if you're not a man of God, like last night I happened, when I came in last night, I thought, I'll turn on TBN and see what's going on. I hadn't had time for television, but I was fixing to pack to get ready. I've had a very busy week this week, and it's going to be even busier because this afternoon when we leave here, we're going to go to our church. We're going to have church. We're going to pray for the sick, and then we're going to run get on an airplane. Then we're going to fly to Midland, Odessa. And then in the morning about 8.15 or 8.30, we'll be in the studio making the beginning of 15 more 30-minute television shows. We'll probably make eight or nine of them tomorrow uh, at least. And then we'll be on live on 8 till 10 on GLC, God's Learning Channel. Uh, and then we'll pray for people and answer questions. And then we'll probably get to the hotel at 12 or 1 o'clock. And then at 8 o'clock the next morning, we'll be back in there making another eight or nine shows. I have to make 15 television shows in two days, and then we catch an airplane back Tuesday night and come back. So I've got a very busy schedule. So when people say, I don't have anything to do, I feel sorry for you. You know, you need something to do. That's one thing about serving God. There's always something to do. Plenty busy. But <clears throat> we're going to be busy but I think about this law. If anybody breaks the commandments of God, whether you're lost or saved, he holds you accountable. Now, the problem of it is, if you're a born-again Christian, he holds you accountable right then. He expects you to confess that sin and get rid of that sin. Otherwise, you open the door to a demon. Right then. But non-Christians... They've kind of got a unique situation, according to the Word. God is not holding the unbeliever accountable for his sin. Isn't that amazing? He's not holding the unbeliever accountable for his sin. You know why? Because he's not God. He already belongs to the devil. He's not holding the unbeliever accountable for his sin. So the unbeliever goes out there and does what he wants to do, and the devil has legal right to him all the time because he belongs to the devil from the beginning. So the devil can do anything he wants to do to the unbeliever. He can make you sick. He can kill you, do whatever he wants to. But he can't do that to the Christian. The Christian, the devil can't touch you until you sin. And when you sin, now then you're breaking the law, and the devil knows it. And I'm telling you, the more of the knowledge of the Word of God you have, the more powerful demons will be watching over you. I mean, you might walk down the street and there'll be a Christian. There might be only one or two demons following him and maybe only one or two angels. He's no threat to the kingdom of hell. He don't know the Word of God. He don't read it. He don't study it. He goes and does what he wants to do. So there's very little spiritual activity around him. But you take some guy like this pastor back here that's, that's right now teaching the young people. I'm telling you, there is activity around that guy. I guarantee the demons of hell are after him and the angels are all around him. There, if you could see into the spirit world, this pastor here, this young man that's leading the children's church right now, I guarantee there is spiritual activity going on in that room. 
Because that man is on fire for Jesus. You take a man like that, lead somebody to Jesus every day, every week, I'm telling you, there is spiritual activity around that man. He better not make a mistake. Because if he does, the demons of hell are going to be there to get him, I can guarantee you. That's why it blows me away when I see pastors in churches. And we've got to not know. We must not believe and understand this book. That when we as men of God sin, we open a door to a demonic host that is wanting to kill you. He's standing there watching you. He wants to get you. He's wanting you to make a mistake. Well, let me tell you, don't make a mistake. Because if you do, they can take you out really quick. And that's their goal. Stealing, killing, and destroying. And the more you walk under the anointing of God, the closer the devil will be watching you. So when you make a mistake, he will get you. He loves it. He loves to torment you and your family. So, man, if there's anything a man ought to learn, he needs to learn that there is a law, this book. And you're held accountable for every commandment in this book. You break them? Wow. So, I guess it'd be best, be a good idea to know what some of these rules are. Well... Let's go to Psalms 1. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this magnificent book. We thank you for this law book that you've given us. We thank you that this book is the book of life, the owner's book. I thank you that I have the privilege to live in an age when I can have this magnificent piece of work in my hand. Of all the things that people have had in their life that they've treasured. This is the greatest treasure on earth, is this piece of paper that I hold in my hand this morning. If I could only keep one thing, only one, I had to give up everything in my life, everything I own or have or possess, but I could keep one thing, this is what I would keep. Nothing else is any good. Everything else will pass away. Everything. But this Word. So, Father, bless this Word this morning and help us all to realize the importance of this law book. That is the most important book in history. Now, Lord, as we talk about Your Word today, I ask You to bless it. Bless it to all of our hearing that we might do what You say in Your Word. I praise you and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what I said a while ago when I said the Lord's not holding the unbeliever responsible for this right now, and he won't until he dies. Any man that refuses to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, when he dies, then he will stand in judgment. For everything he has done in his life. And then that will determine what position of the lake of fire he is cast into. So obviously there are sections of the lake of fire that are hotter than others. 
Maybe more of those wicked worms that die not. More of those wicked demons. I read a book one time. I don't know if I can believe all these things that people say that they've had these experiences, but maybe so, maybe not. But I'll just repeat to you what I read in the book. A person had a experience, had an experience with the Lord, and they died, and the Lord took them to hell. And they walked up, and there was a casket laying there, and there was a preacher laying in it, and he was in his torment, screaming. And all of a sudden, a bunch of wicked demons came out and began to run their spears through the side of the casket, through him, and pull him out. And scream, and they were sticking them in the top of him and everything. And then the worms were eating the flesh off of his body and throwing it out on the ground, and the flesh was coming off the ground, then and coming back up, and they were eating it again. said it was the most ghastly scene I've ever seen. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, who is that? And the Lord said, that was one of my preachers on earth. I said, well, why is he here being tormented? He said, because he didn't teach the truth from my word. He only taught part of it. He wouldn't teach all of my word. So his torment is going to be much worse than the average because he knew the truth and he wouldn't preach it. He tickled the ears of man. He was more afraid of man than he was of me. So he's going to spend eternity being tormented by demons. Scary, isn't it? Makes you not want to be a preacher. If you're going to be a preacher, you better teach it all. Don't be afraid of what man's going to say to you. But in the last days, Paul told Timothy there was going to be men that would come that would tickle the ears of people. They wouldn't teach them the truth. They would deny the power of the Holy Spirit. They would deny that the Holy Spirit was real. And we have that everywhere. I mean, we have churches everywhere. I've been in them. Now that I've had the privilege to walk under the anointing of God and see Him do all these mighty things that I've seen Him do, now that I've had that privilege, I think about the number of churches that I've been in that don't believe these things. Wow. I don't want to be one of those preachers. But I don't want to be a Christian. That's not being obedient to do what God says either. Because there's going to be a judgment one day. And all I can say is you better make sure all your sins are repented of. Wow. Because if they're not, we're going to be in trouble. Psalms 1. Blessed is the man. Blessed. That's where I want to be, don't you, brother? I want to be blessed. Blessed is the man. Well, there must be some requirements. Well, there is. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Let me tell you, there's lots of ungodly men out there today. Lots of them. And they're giving lots of counsel. In fact, when I turned the TV on last night for just a few minutes, I saw something about a believer. I forget now what the title was. Something about walking or test walking in faith or what, something like that. I thought, well, I wonder what this is. And I really don't know what channel it was, but I turned the TV on and there it was. 
But since it said something about walking in faith, I thought that caught my eye. And then it had a guy up here in one section, and it said he's an atheist. And the other guy's a believer. And there, there were three men on the picture. I don't know what program it was. don't have any idea because I don't watch television hardly at all. And I only watched just a couple of minutes of that because it was obvious that the man that was the atheist, he had no clue what he was talking about. But the men that were supposedly men of faith didn't have much more of a clue what they were talking about either. So I thought, wow. Anyway, I thought, I feel sorry for that guy. It's the atheist. But you know, as I turned the television off, I prayed for all three of those men. I said, Lord, first of all, I come to the throne of grace and I come against that devil that's blinding that atheist mind. Because his mind's got to be blinded by the God of this world which I have all power and authority over. So I'm rebuking that devil over him. And Lord, those other two men, I really don't know in the few minutes I heard them talk what they do know. And they may know a whole lot more than I think they know. But Lord, I ask you to give those men revelation, wisdom, and knowledge and understanding from your word. And bless them in the name of Jesus. Now see, if you don't pray like that, God's hands are tied over those people. Until you realize that God can only move on the earth according to your prayers, you'll start praying different. When you realize that all you do is go along saying, well, I feel sorry for that atheist. That guy's going to die and go to hell. Yeah, that's all you're going to say about him. That's what he's going to do. But if you're willing to do something and then believe God, and that's what... We seem to not be willing to do. In the church, we don't believe God. We want to do it our way. And so many people in the church today, when you really start teaching the Word and the requirements of the Word, they don't want nothing to do with it. I mean, Cheryl and I were talking, and of course, uh, this morning, last night, about some of the people that she's been associated with, friends, all the way back to high school. Now that she's come into my life and really into the walk of faith, and she's seeing all these people healed. Naturally, these people that she knew, friends and relatives and everything else, and they're sick and afflicted, she wants them to know the truth. So she's trying to tell them what's available. And, you know, some of them just laugh at her. I don't want nothing to do with Cheryl, I mean, you, okay, you know, just walk. You, and, you know, they think she stepped off the deep end now. She's gone crazy. But we have stepped off the deep end, haven't we, honey? I have stepped off the deep end. That's right. We have stepped off the deep end. Praise God. I'm walking on the water. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that's where the world's not walking where she's walking now. You know, the church is not walking where she's walking now. And I remember after we had been married just a short while, we were going down to East Texas to speak in a church, and she told me, she's driving on, she said, honey, I thought I had faith before I married you. But she said, I don't even know what it means. She said, in fact, I feel like I have so little faith now that if the rapture occurred today, I might not even go. See, when she stepped into the home with a man that walked in just a little bit of faith, she saw some absolute awesome things. Awesome things. I mean, she began to see God do things, and I'm, I'm thinking, gee, Lord, why can't I get more done? You know, I mean, I'm thinking, my faith is so tiny. I need more faith. And she's thinking, man, his faith is awesome. Well, see, 
That, I guess that's the way it is. We need to learn to start thinking like God. How big is your Jesus? Well, see, mine used to be a little bitty fella. You know. He's getting bigger all the time. You know, one of these days, I mean, I mean, he's going to become the real God that he is, the creator of the universe. When that really gets into your heart, then you can pray the prayer of faith for people, and you can see great things happen. I'm serious on this deal with y'all going out and handing out these uh, uh, CDs and, and flyers. And that. Don't, even, don't even begin to think, Lord, we're gonna, we want 1% return. Don't even think about that. You know, say, Lord, we want every, everybody, when you stick one of them on that door, say, Lord, we claim this house. We claim everybody in this house. We claim their spirits, souls, and, and, and bodies for you and for service under your kingdom forever. And we're going to come against the forces of darkness, and we're going to see the city of Plano, and not only Plano, but Dallas and the entire Metroplex come to Jesus. We're going to see every jail in this city closed down. Now, that's the kind of attitude we need to go about the kingdom of God's business. I mean, we're children of the king. You know, we're not just nobodies. We have been given all power and authority. If the church would begin to pray in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex and begin to pray right, did you know I can guarantee you in one to two years or less, we could see every jail in this city shut down. We could see the police department go down to a fourth the size it is and still have a city that's a magnificent city. We could see churches not only that are on every corner of every block in this city, but we could see them full to overflowing every Sunday. When people begin to realize what's available in prayer, when we start doing something in faith and praying, because if you don't pray for people and you don't bless them, then you're going to be speaking a curse on those people. And that's what we do. We speak more curses. We don't realize what we do and when we open our mouth. But we speak more curses on people. That should never be. The Word of God says blessings and curses come out of the same mouth. But He said this should never be. Only blessings should come out of the mouth of a Christian. But He says, Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. So instead of listening to the ungodly... You should seek the wisdom of many godly men. When you go to do something, don't ever do it on your own. Don't ever do anything without prayer and counsel of godly men. Never. I don't care what you're going to do. Do it with a counsel of godly men. And never without prayer. If you, and if you really want to see God do something, then start thinking like God. Way up there. Think big. Now then, when you begin to think that you're thinking exceedingly abundantly above all that you can think or imagine, just realize that God can do exceedingly abundantly above that. Because that's, that's who He is. And don't put a limit on God. But that's what we do. We put a limit on God. I've only known of a very few men in this last hundred years that began to reach those parameters. And, of course, one of them was A.A. A. Allen. You know, one of them was Smith Wigglesworth. One of them was John Lake. Those are three men. Another one was William Brannan. Those are four men that I know of that lived in the last hundred years that began to approach these realms of where they could believe God for everything. Give you an idea what happens when you do this. Now, most of us can't even think like this. 
I'm still not there either, but I'm working on this. Smith Wigglesworth was invited to stay in the home of a man where he was speaking in a church. So the man had no legs from just above his knee. And he was in a wheelchair, of course. So that night they were sitting out on the patio talking, and Smith looked down at him and he said, How long have you had no legs? He said, Sir, I was born with no legs, so I've not had any legs ever. He said, In the morning, when you get up, go down to the shoe store and buy yourself a pair of shoes the size and the color you want. That's all he said. And Smith got up and walked off. The man didn't know what to do. He knew Smith Wigglesworth was an awesome man of faith, but he didn't pray for him. He just told him to go buy him a pair of shoes. So he went to bed that night. In the middle of the night, he had a dream. And in the dream, someone told him, said, in the morning when you get up, you go down to the shoe store and do what my servant told you to do. Needless to say, the guy didn't sleep no more that night. <laughs> but the next morning when the shoe store opened, this man was sitting in front of the shoe store. And whenever the man opened and went in, he went in and said, What can I do for you, sir? He said, I want a pair of eight low-quarter black Oxford shoes. So the guy went over and got him a pair of these, brought them over, said, Would you like me to gift wrap them for someone? He said, No, I want you to put them on me. The man says, Sir, you have no legs. He said, That's okay. He said, Put the left one right here on this nub. So the man took the shoe out of the box and stuck it on the nub, and right before his eyes, a foot formed in the shoe and a leg. Then he told him, he said, now put the other one on, and he did, and the other one, the same thing happened, and the man gets out of his wheelchair with his new shoes and walks out of the shoe store and left his wheelchair there with his new legs and his new shoes. Now, when's the last time you and I have seen something like that? Once in a while, you may hear something like that, but in the church, those things today are almost non-existent. Well, I got to see God do something almost that good the other day. Wasn't quite that good. But I was down in Manny, Louisiana speaking, and they brought a man in with a set of stilt things all on him, with stiff-legged, and set him down in the chair right there. And I spoke two hours, and after the two hours, I walked up, and there was a woman coming down this aisle right here, and she's shaking like this. And I said, what's wrong with you? And she said, I have Parkinson and lupus. And I reached up and laid my hand on her shoulder and said, in the name of Jesus, instantly she stopped shaking. And I thought, whoa, God, what's going on here? You know. So I, I thought, wow, this is awesome. I thought, the gift of miracles has come upon me. I don't know how long this is going to last. But I said, I'll run over here to this guy. I said, sir, what's wrong with you? He said, 21 months ago, I had a great big giant tree. He said, the tree was this big. That big tree fell across the tractor I was driving. It rolled, and when it stopped, it had fell over my legs and crushed my legs and my knees. And he said, they've done surgery on my knees, but the doctor said, my knees are so tore up, I will never walk again. I said, but Jesus said in John 14, 13, I could ask the Father in his name anything, and he would do it. I said, do you believe that? He said, I do. 
I laid my hands on that man's knees. He's sitting right here just like this man is right here. I laid my hands on him knees with them steel braces on them, straight as they could be, and asked the Father in Jesus' name to completely restore and make those knees like brand new. I thanked him for doing it. I said, do you believe that, sir? He said, I do. I said, then take all that junk off and throw it away, and let's stand up and walk. The man took that stuff off, throwed it down. I reached up and got his hand. I raised him up when I did. He bent his legs. He said, oh, he said, it hurts. I said, I know that devil's going to make it hurt. But I said, don't you believe that beast? I said, in the name of Jesus, walk. And I jerked him, and he took a step. I said, come on. And I give him another and another one. And by the time he got three steps, I said, you're on your own. And he walked up there and walked around the podium three times and run to the back and back to the front with his hands in the air screaming, God is awesome. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, we serve an awesome God. We serve an awesome God. I mean, this is not some this is not some fly by night cowboy you and I are serving. <laughs> you know, this is the King of the Universe we're serving. So it's time we start thinking like Him, isn't that right, Brian? I mean, you know how you know a few years ago how hard it would it would have been impossible for me to think outside the box like that a few years ago. You know it, because I come from a church that never saw anything like that. That was so far beyond my wildest dreams. But now then. When I pray for people, I don't care what the problem is. If they don't get healed, I think, what did I do wrong? I mean, God, it can't be you. It's me. What did I do wrong? Do I not have enough faith? What did I do wrong? Because I know if I'm right in what I'm doing and I'm walking in obedience to the Word, if I can build that man's faith sitting there and he and I can agree in faith, the Lord says we can ask him for anything and he'll do it. That's a pretty awesome statement when the king says, ask me for anything and I will do it. So why don't we start thinking like God and believe when we ask for anything for people like this, it happens. But he also says, right here, here, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know, I want you to think about the statement I'm going to make here about this. When I used to go to my pastor in my church, when I learned what I thought was the truth of Matthew eighteen nineteen, where the Lord says again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Well, I thought he meant what he said. I thought I could ask for anything and he'd do it. So I would go to, but I didn't see anybody using that verse in church. So I go to my pastor Ask him what he thought about that. He said, well, you know, there is some things that God will do and some he won't. Or then you get a Ph.D. from the seminary and he takes 30 minutes explaining to you that God didn't mean what he said. (laughs) Do you know that's counsel from the ungodly? Those men don't really know the same Jesus that I know. There's something wrong with this picture. And I would hate to be one of those men when they stand before God one day. When he said, what did you not understand when I told you to seek out counsel of the godly? Well, somebody's asked me just recently, who do you seek out counsel from? I said, well, first thing I want to know, are they leading anybody to Jesus? Is people getting saved where they are? People learning the truth about the gospel. And if they say yes, I said, okay, then how many have you been Healing lately. Have you seen anybody healed? Oh, yeah. Well, have you seen anybody delivered? You cast any demons out of anybody? Oh, yeah, we see that regularly. Okay, praise God. 
now then, I'm ready to listen. If you've got something to tell me, I'm ready to listen. But if you're not winning anybody to Jesus, you're not healing any sick, and you're not casting out any demons, you're really not producing any fruit for the kingdom of God, I'm not interested in your counsel. Kind of like one day I was with a man and back in the engineering world. A man from HR. He said, I want to come back here and I want to show you something about some mold on one of our buildings. Okay. So we went and looked at the mold. We're checking it out. While we were there, when we got through, I said, by the way, son, I know you're new here in HR. I said, are you a Christian? He looked at me and said, well, uh, yeah. I said, where do you go to church? What kind of Christian are you? Well, he said, I'm a Baptist. I said, well, good. Where do you go to church? He said, well, Thurman, I don't have time for church. I said, you ain't much of a Christian then, are you? Well, he said, that's none of your business. I said, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a real Christian. And if you are a Christian, it's my business because you're my brother in Christ. And I said, if you are a Christian, you're not going to church. You're breaking God's law. You need to be in his church. He said, well, let's talk about this mold. I said, okay. So we walked on back up the front talking about the mold. We got up there, he stopped, he said, let me give you some counsel. I said, what do you got to say to me? He said, you know, you offended me when you started talking religious things in the workplace. And I don't want to see you do that no more. I said, son, let me give you some counsel. I said, if you got something to say about the business world, I may listen to you. But no more knowledge you have about the Word of God, don't you ever give me counsel until I see you start leading people to Jesus, producing fruit, and you're in church every time the doors open. When you start working for God, producing fruit for the kingdom of God, then I'll listen to your godly counsel. But until then, your counsel's ungodly. And I said, don't you ever tell me anything about the kingdom of God again until you get right with God. I don't listen to counsel from the ungodly. The Lord says, you will only be blessed if you listen to the counsel from the godly. And a man that's not going to church is not a godly man. A man that's not serving the king of the universe, I don't want his counsel. I'm not going to listen to his counsel. Because God says, I will only be blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Only the godly. Nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. This is a law book. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Your delight must be in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate 15 minutes a day. Oh, I've seen several people look up there. How much did he say you have to meditate in his law? Oh, I mean, we must not read that because how many people do you know meditate on the law of God day and night? How many of us wake up in the morning as Christians and say, Lord, I want to thank you for your law. I want to thank you that I've read it, I read it, I'm going to, I'm going to remember it, I'm going to look at it, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to, be, I'm going to listen to it today. I'm going to, if I'm not listening to a CD or a tape or something about your word, I'm going to be talking to you. Just like a 
person asked one of these men of God that I was telling you about that seen these great and mighty things. Have you ever prayed two hours at one time? He said, no. So what's the longest you ever prayed? Oh, he said, I never prayed longer than 20 or 30 minutes at one time. But he said, I've never went more than 20 or 30 minutes without praying. So you spend 30 minutes praying. In fact, I think about this man. I read a book one time about one of these men. He said, back in the days when the automobile first came out, people were kind of excited about these automobiles, you know, instead of having to ride in a horse and a buggy. So this man had a brand new car. And he came over and picked up one of these men of God. He said, they got in this car and they're driving down the road and said he was all intrigued with all the stuff. You know, this is years ago. Nothing compared to what we have today. But he was intrigued looking and thinking about this car and how things work and everything. He said, they're driving down the road. And all of a sudden, he throwed up his hand and said, stop, stop, stop. And so the guy's pulled off the side roads. He throwed his hands and said, oh, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Lord, I've been probably 20 minutes. I hadn't even had a thought about you. Lord, forgive me. Twenty minutes he's gone without thinking or worshiping and praising God. And all of a sudden a thought come to him. You hadn't worshiped and praised me in twenty minutes. You've been thinking about this worldly stuff. I told you this worldly stuff sinned against me. So he said, Lord, forgive me. There's a true man of God. Wow. Wonder how much we sin. Way too much. We don't spend near enough time with God. Because he said we're supposed to meditate on his law day and night. This is not just in here one or two places. It's in this book many, many places. Meditate on this word day and night. For those of you that have children that are still school age, don't get them so involved in school that you don't take time to read them the law of God. Because if you teach them the things of the world, you will lose your children. They will go the wrong way. They will take the path that you train them. You teach them about the world system, that's where they're going to go. That's all they will know. So they'll feel good in it, and they'll get out there and they'll live in it. And they'll live in it and die in it. And then they'll die and go to hell. Because you taught them the wrong things. The Lord didn't tell you to teach your children anything except this book. He said, you teach your children this book. You meditate on this law day and night. Then, he says, your ways will be prosperous and then you will have great success. So, he's telling us what we have to do to be blessed. And verse 3 says, and he shall take, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. This is the man that does what God says. The one that reads and meditates on the law day and night. He will be like a tree planted. Planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now, how many people want to prosper in life? Everybody. Sure, we all want to prosper. But what do we do? We do everything except what God says. We go out and, and go to school and, and get different uh, Degrees and all kinds of stuff, and then we go out and we try our best to work in the world to make a living. And the majority of people, the majority of people that I know today, even in the church, literally live from payday to payday. 
They don't live a blessed life because they don't obey God. They don't do what He says. You go to the average church that I was, I was members of Baptist churches for years. And I've worked on counting committees. I worked as ushers. I worked on every committee in the church. And I will be, I will feel like I'm on very safe ground when I tell you that from 15 to 25 percent, 25 would be way on the high side, I believe. But 15 to 25 percent of the congregations and many of the congregations I've been in have been as small as 50 and up to 100 or 300, and that's probably average, 250, 300 people in a Baptist church. But some I've been members of have been 2,000, 3,000, and it makes no difference what size. 15 to 20 or 25 percent of the people pay all the bills at the church. Those are tithers, and those are the ones that are blessed. The ones that are not tithers is the rest of them. And they're the ones that never have their needs met. They're the ones that's living under a curse. And they're the ones that wonder why they can't make it from payday to payday. Because they're not being obedient to God's Word. In fact, I can tell you out there at Justin, First Baptist Church, 150, 200 people. I used to. Now it's up to 300 or 400 people. But when I first went there years ago, there was a man there that was working on his Ph.D. from the seminary as a pastor. And that church was in the red. when He had been there just a very short period of time when I got there, and that church was in the red when I got there. I maintained the buses for that. I only had a couple of little ones, vans. I maintained those vehicles and paid all the upkeep on those vehicles, everything, parts and everything. Blowed up an engine in one of them, I fixed it. Went out and blowed up on one of the mission trips or something happened. I'd take my trailer and my truck. I'd go get the truck or the pickup of the van. I mean, I'd bring it back. I'd tear it down. I'd fix it, overhaul it, pay for everything. Parts, labor, everything. We never, I never charged the church nothing for all that work I'd done on their vehicles. But that church was still in the red, and they could barely meet the requirements. And I went to that pastor and told him two or three or four times. I said, in the five years he was there. I said, the reason this church is in the red is because you will not preach God's Word. I said, when it comes to tithing, for sure, I've never heard you even make a statement about tithing. He said, Thurman, tithing is too controversial, and I won't touch it with a ten-foot pole. I said, it's not controversial at all. God says do it. That's all you've got to do is tell them what God says. And that way it's His responsibility, but He can't do nothing until you preach the Word. But He would not do it. Five years came and went. That church was in the red for five years. And then he left. We were hiring a new little pastor, 32 years old, with a master's degree from the seminary. When he came in, I said, Son, I only got one question to ask you outside of, Are you a Christian? I said, Will you preach on tithing and do you believe in tithing? He said, Well, of course I believe in tithing. And yes, I will preach on it. I said, Good. You got my vote. I'll vote for you. second Sunday he was there, he preached a good message on tithing. First one we had heard in years. In fact, one of his friends asked him, he told me later, said, one of my friends asked me, he said, well, what are you going to preach on this Sunday? He said, tithing. He said, good grief, you're going into a brand new church, and the second Sunday you're going to talk about money? He said, well, yeah. He said, I feel led to do that. And so he did. Then a few Sundays later, he spoke a little bit more on tithing. 
And then after he had been there, he talked about it two or three times a little bit in his services. And when he had been there six months, now we had, we had no more people, same people in that six months. We didn't have no new people, maybe two or three. But the church was still the same. But in six months, his father, which was a Baptist preacher, come from Oklahoma to spend a weekend Saturday with him one day. And he said, Dad, if you want to, you can go to the deacons meeting with me. We got a deacons meeting this morning. We have a money problem. His dad said, oh, son, what's wrong? Y'all don't have enough money to pay the bill? I thought, you know, that's a faith of a Baptist preacher. And that's the way we think. Anytime somebody says, we've got a money problem in church, it's got to be we don't have enough. <laughs> never, never concerned about we got so much we don't know what to do with it. He said, no, Dad, that's not the case. He said, uh, since I've been here in the six months, we paid the $35,000 note off across the street on the parking lot. We paid the $30,000 note off on the house next door, and we now have $69,000 in the bank, and we don't know what to do with it. <laughs> All that happened in six months after about three messages on tithing. Hallelujah. Same group of people that for five years never heard a tithing message, and the church was in the red all the time. God was out there saying, Son, if you just preached my word, I'd move on in people's hearts and move them, get them to give some money. But you're not willing to preach it, so I ain't going to do it. I can't do it. My hands are tied. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing what God will do when we preach His Word. Now, if you don't preach on healing, how many people get healed in the church? None. If you don't preach on salvation, how many get saved in the church? None. I mean, you can go to any good Catholic church out there and walk in and ask anybody. You don't have any idea how many Catholic people in my life I've walked up to and said, Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Oh, yeah, I'm a Catholic. <laughs> no, no, no. When did you accept Jesus Christ by faith? Oh, no, no, no. I was born in the Catholic church. I've been, I was baptized as a baby. I'm okay. No, 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 no. When by faith did you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? Well, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Never heard of that. I've sat in airplanes with men and women 60 and 70 years old that have been in Catholic Church all their life that didn't have a clue what the plan of salvation was. Not a clue. But I've also sat in Baptist churches that people sit there and hear it every Sunday, and they don't know what it is either. So what's wrong with us? I think we just come to church, we've done our duty, and then we go home and do what we want to do for a week. It's not responsible. We're not responsible to know the Word of God. Yeah, we are, too. When we become children of the King, you no longer belong to yourself. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says you're bought with a price and you belong to Jesus. And now you're to produce fruit for His kingdom. And so many people don't do that. Isn't that amazing? But that's what we're supposed to do. Now he says here that if you want to be successful in life and prosper... You must do what he says here. Then in verse 4 says, The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. If you want God to bless you and to prosper you, you're going to have to learn this word. 
In fact, I want to take you to another place where he's talking about here, when, when he says right here, in verse 3, you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Now, this is a godly man. Do you know what a tree planted by the river looks like compared to one that's planted out on the desert? The one's planted close to that river bank. That thing has got its roots run plumb down into that water. It can get all the water it wants, and that tree is blooming. It produces fruit. It is a magnificent tree. But you plant one out on the desert out there, you've got to water it real regular, and if you don't do it, that tree will dry up and die and wither. But that is planted beside the river of life, and that's where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be children that's watered by the Word of God. And it says, he says, if, but not, not only will that tree, it will be a, not wither, but it says, but that it will bring forth fruit in its season. And, of course, the fruit will be abundant fruit. It won't be like that tree that's sitting out there with just a little water that will bring forth like a pecan tree that's planted down on the creek where the it can, roots can tap down into water. Man, that thing will bring forth big old pecans, big healthy ones. But that one that's planted out there, if you don't water it very much, it won't bring forth nothing. But it says also its leaf shall not wither. You want to know why some men, by the time they're 40 years old, all withered up and dried up and look like they're 70 years old? Because they're not planted by the water of life. When you plant your tree, which is your body, by the river of life, and you feed your body the Word of God, then you can grow and live to be an old, healthy man and not have any sickness and any disease. And if you can grow up and not be withered, you can, it's amazing what you can do by faith. You can stay young a long, long time. Wow! Is that fun? I love it. I love it. Woo! Glory to God. It's so much fun being young. Ain't no fun being old and wore out. I mean, young. Your leaf, your tree, it does not wither. But it's young. Nothing's impossible with men of God. Wow, what a God we serve. And you shall not, your leaf shall not wither. And whatsoever you do, whatsoever you do as a source of income, God says, I will make it prosper. So he, don't, he, don't, he doesn't care if you want to be a salesman. He doesn't care if you want to be a mechanic. He doesn't care if you want to be a plumber, a doctor. It makes no difference what you want to do. If you'll seek him and his counsel, he said, whatever you do, I will make you prosper. Do you know how wonderful it is to have things that for when you do things, your equipment and buildings and so forth don't fall apart and they last for years? you know how wonderful it is to buy a car? In fact, I'll tell you one time, I turned in my order for a car. I needed a car for my wife years ago when my daughter, my wife had a Buick. It was a real nice little Buick, but my little daughter, she was getting to be 16, and I needed a car for her. So I thought, well, I'll give her the Buick, and I'll give Mama a better one. Well, back in those days, I told the Lord, I said, I want about an 86 or an 87 Delta 88 Osmobile. 
one of those royal berms. I want a vinyl top on it. I want it to be beautiful. I want it to be leather inside. I want it with AM, FM tape deck, and I want manual air conditioning. I don't want the automatic air. I want it to have new tires. I want it to look like a brand new car. Was that, call, that what you call turning in your order? And I said, Lord, I've got a, somewhere between six and seven thousand dollars. I said, I got seven thousand dollars in the bank, and I want to pay somewhere between six and seven, between six and seven for this car. It's because I want to pay cash for it. I don't want to finance it. I go to work that morning praying that prayer. I sat down at lunch in the Dallas Times Herald sitting right there and I look over under used cars and right there is the Oldsmobile section that says Delta 88 Oldsmobile 87, perfect condition for sale. I said, I'll call. I called that lady and she said, yes, my husband and I was going to Europe. We bought this car brand new a couple of years ago. And she's about three years ago, I believe it was. And she said, it's been garaged here at home, and where I work in Dallas is a, a covered area, so it's been in the, under the cover all the time. So she said, it looks like a brand new car. So I got over there, and she said, oh, by the way, I've just had to put new brakes on it. The air conditioning compressor failed. I put a brand new air conditioning compressor on it. And the thing's only got, I also told the Lord I wanted to have low mileage. This car had 52,000 miles on it. Now, this woman, although she was a Christian, She'd already had to put new brakes on the car, just put a brand new set of tires on the car, and just put a brand new air conditioner on the car. But when I opened the door and looked at it, it looked like a brand new car. When I opened the hood, it looked didn't have a spot of dirt, nothing nowhere underneath. It looked like brand new. I said, what do you want for this car? She said, $6,500. How close is that to between six and 7000 I said, you know, I'll take it. She said, well, there's been two other people here looked at it, and both of them told me they'd come back later, and they, they were really interested in the car. I said, did anybody pay anything down on it? She said, no. I said, well, I'm going to write you a check for 6500 and the car is mine. And she said, you write me a check for 6500 and it's yours. Okay, think of everything she'd done to that car. Although she was a Christian, she was not a faith walker. She was not producing fruit for the kingdom. I bought that car and drove that car to 197,000 miles and never had another problem with it. But one more set of tires on it. I drove it to 197,000 miles. I'd say for $6,500, that was pretty good spending my money, wouldn't you say? Very few people get to do that. But see... When you serve the Lord, He says, whatever you do, I will make it prosper. He will even make your cars run much longer. I mean, I've seen people go down and pay $40,000 for a new car and can't drive it 80,000 miles till everything on it's broken. You all know it? But you've got to pray over it. You've got to pray over it. And you've got to pray over it and pray over it. And you've got to walk in obedience to God's Word. But He says, if you will do these things, your tree will not wither. He said, you'll be young, you can do anything. And he said that whatever you put your hands to, I will make it prosper for you. Now then, if you want to prosper in the church as a ch child of God, number one, you've got to come to church. Not once in a while. You've got to produce fruit for the kingdom. You've got to be about God's business. You've got to be doing things for Him. And everything that you do has got to revolve around God. Everything. Your whole life must revolve around the king. He does not want to share you with anything or anyone.
He wants to be number one. And if you make him number one, then he'll make your marriage blessed. He'll make your life with your children blessed. In fact, I wished I had brought the Father's Day card that my son gave me. It touched my heart more than any card he has ever written. But he bought a little dinky card. He's like me. He don't go out and spend a lot of money for things, but he probably gives 75 cents for this little card. Got one little picture on the front, but he opened it. It has nothing on the inside but a place to write. And that's the kind that's, you know, when they handwrite it, that's the one that means the most. Well, he wrote a page and a half in that about how thankful he was that I was his father, that I had paid the price to walk godly before man and him. And he went so far to say, Now, Dad, you built a legacy of which I'm going to follow and which my your grandchildren are going to follow. And he was telling about how grateful he was to have been raised up in a home with a man, a father that served God and was not ashamed of him, but that knew who he was. Even in the face of everything that everybody could throw at me, I still serve the living God. And he was thanking me for how, how grateful he was that I had walked that walk. Well, let me tell you, it's a costly walk, but it sure does pay good dividends. And the Lord says right there, whatever you do, I will make it prosper. He'll make your children prosper. He will bless them. He will do everything for them. He promises if you will be obedient, not only to bless you, but to bless your children. I could have taken any path, but I'm glad I took the one I took. I'm glad I had godly counsel at home. Guess what? What if you're raised up in a home that you don't have that godly counsel? You don't have a chance. You don't have a chance. So whatever you do, from this day forth, make sure that you spend time with God in His Word, reading His Word, studying His Word, and doing what it says. And we're going to go to one last verse here, and I want to show you, we're going to step you back to, to the book of Joshua. When, when the Lord was giving Joshua the commands to get started, this is what he told him. Joshua chapter 1. Right in the beginning. And he had only got just a few verses down when he told Joshua this very thing. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make your way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. <clears throat> Think about this. The average Christian, Tells their children in the morning, get up, got to go to school. Get up, go to school. Monday through Friday. You can't be late for school. Got to go to school every day, Monday through Friday. But Saturday and Sunday comes and, well, Sunday, you know, we're all tired. We're going to sleep in. 
we worked hard all this week. Yeah, we're Christians, but Mom and Dad's really tired. We're not going to go to Sunday school and church this week. We're going to stay home, and we're going to rest because we need our rest. But Monday morning, get up, kids. Go to school. Got to go to school. Can't be late for school. You know, if there's anything you're going to tell them to be late for, that crazy school down there is not teaching them much. I hate to say it. But any time, just like one time whenever I went to Oklahoma with my son when he was in the fifth grade, ten years old, they needed some counselors to go with the boys. Ten boys to a cabin. I said, I'm going. My son ain't going to a place ten years old without me. I took a week of vacation and I went with them. I got up to the very first thing whenever we walked up and they give them counsel at school. It was a school camp. Nothing to do with church. All about school. They gave them counsel, stay close to your counselors, don't get off the trails, you're out here on the lakes, you're out in the wilds, there's snakes out here, be careful. That's good counsel. But the boys don't listen very well. So we're out on the trails and they're running off the trail and they're running off out in the leaves. And I said, hey guys, get back over here. Get back over here, get on that trail. You heard what that man said? There's snakes up here. Oh, Mr. Scribner, we're going to be okay. We're big boys. Ten years old. We got, it. We got the world by the tail. You know, I mean, they know everything when they're 10. Finally, actually, I said, boys, come on. Now, I'm under, y'all are under my authority. I'm responsible for you boys. You've got to stay on this trail. We're going along there a little while. I looked over there, and there is a chicken snake laying out yonder about 15 feet off that trail, coiled up in some leaves, and he is a big monster. I said, hey, boys, come here. Come here. What, what is this? I said, boys, I want y'all right out there. Y'all see anybody see anything right out in there? Don't see a snake or anything out there? Them little 10-year-old boys. Oh, Mr. Sheriff, there ain't no snakes out there. I said, oh, yeah, there's one out there. Guarantee it. No, there ain't no snake out here. I said, well, see there? Y'all, I'm telling you, there's a snake right out there. I can see him. Mr. Scrivener, you're kidding. There's no snake out there. I reached down this great big old long stick there about this long. I picked that great big old stick up, and I throwed it right out and hit right in the middle of that snake. Man, he flopped and... Woo, these kids are, I mean, they see him now. He goes in and runs up under a little log there, and I know it's a chicken snake. Of course, i got boots on anyway, so I run out there. He's in under them leaves, and I'm walking out through them leaves, you know, and I'm walking along there, and all of a sudden I see that snake up there, and he's hiding from me, and I take that forked stick, and I reach up there, and them boys are over there on that trail, and I go over there, and I stab that forked stick about that far down behind his head, and that great big old white mouth, he slings that head. And he's just doing this, you know. And them boys nearly have a runaway. <laughs> I said, now see, boys, this is what I was telling you. That counselor told us we need to pay attention. You boys need to listen to me. And so I made a real believer out of him. I killed that big old snake, and I left him laying out there. And what I didn't know, one of them boys went back down there that evening and picked up that dead snake and put him in a plastic bag and put him in his suitcase and kept him all week long. <laughs> And when we got home, one of that little boy, I said, I, I was talking to these boys. I said, now, it would probably be better if y'all didn't even tell your mother that you saw a snake near the trail. One of the little, little boys said, but Mr. Scrivener, I brought that snake home with me. I said, what? That snake's been dead nearly a week. 
He said, but I put him in a plastic bag. I said, where is he? He's in my suitcase. I said, oh, I'm glad. I said, let's open that suitcase. Take that monster out. I said, if you were to get home to average mother, she opened that suitcase and there's that dead snake, you might have, your mother might have a heart attack. What boys do at 10 years of age? Mothers know this. So anyway, we threw that snake in the dumpster. Thank goodness. But I asked those boys while we were up there. I said, boys, how many of you all believe in Jesus? Well, my son and one other little boy was the only two boys out of ten that went to church. None of them believed in Jesus. None of them were raised in a godly home. Only my son and one other boy. And the other one just went to church sometimes. So we go out on a trail, and here's a teacher walking on a trail, and she's saying, you know, now, this petrified tree here was 300 million years ago. And so we get off of this nature trail, we go into a classroom, and here she's got the little monkeys, the little eggs, the monkeys and stuff, all the way up through the ape, through the man. And she said, and this is the way man started out, and we go through this whole scenario, and I sat there in class and listened to this nonsense, and after class was over, I said, you boys head on back to the cabin, I'll be right behind you. I walk up to this teacher, and I said, ma'am, I've got one question to ask you. Are you a born-again Christian? She said, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, you go to church? Oh, yeah. I said, ma'am, problem here. I said, if you're a born-again Christian and you go to church, then you've got to know that what you're teaching these boys is a lie. But she said, but this is what I'm required to teach them. I said, ma'am, I can't teach a lie because you're impacting the souls of little people. And do you know God's going to hold you accountable for this one day when you stand in His presence? She said, I guess I never thought about that. I said, don't you think it's time that you did think about what God's told you to do? I said, you know that's a lie. Man didn't evolve like that. God made the universe and made man. You know that. She said, well, yes, I know that. I said, then I suggest you either start teaching that or you change professions. Because I said, you're not going to be happy one day when you stand before the king of the universe. So anyway, I leave her classroom and I go back to the cabin of those ten boys. And I get over there and I said, now boys, I want to ask you all a question. I sat in y'all's class today and I heard what that teacher taught. I want to know how many of you boys in this classroom believe or in this room? Out of ten of you. And only two of you have had any training from the Word of God. I want to know how many of you children believe that somewhere back your great, 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 great grandfather somewhere, who knows how many eons back, started out as a monkey. <laughs> and every one of them kids said, we don't believe that. I said, here you are, 10 years old, and not a single one of you believe that. No. I didn't come from a monkey. I thought, how awesome this is. Here we got educated people with degrees standing in classrooms teaching 10-year-old kids that don't know them believe what we're teaching them. <laughs> but we won't teach them the truth because we might offend somebody. Well, let me tell you, I think it's time the church started offending somebody. I think it's time we start teaching what our God says. I'll tell you why there's not any power in the church today, because we're afraid of man instead of God. Well, let me tell you, when I look at what man can do to me, the Word of God says all he can do to me is kill this piece of flesh. But it says, fear him who can cast you after death into hell. And that's God. I'm going to tell you, whenever I die, I'm going to go down preaching this Word.
I'm going to do it like God says, aren't you, Brian? And we're going to start believing Him for big things. We don't want nothing little. When you start thinking big, that's the day you'll walk in when you can pray for a man with two crushed knees and you can pray and expect him to do something and you can see that man get up and run around that place. That's when you can lay hands on the sick and pray for them. That's just like that young boy that just started working for us. I had him give his testimony yesterday. He was the young boy that 10 years ago at 11 years of age, which had warts and scars all over his body, and I prayed for that little boy. Philip Anthony Wren was his name then, 11 years old. And I had the faith 10 years ago to pray and ask God to take those warts and scars off and then had the audacity to stand up and look his mother right now and said, I guarantee in a few weeks because God made you a promise that boy won't have a wart or a scar on his body. And in four weeks, that boy didn't have a wart or a scar. And today he's 21 years old, a tall, handsome young man, and there's still not a wart or a scar on his body. And last Tuesday, he went to work for us in the ministry. I hadn't seen him in years, but all of a sudden he just walked in. It wasn't accidental because I told the Lord here a few weeks ago, I said, Lord, I hadn't seen Philip in seven or eight years. I'd like to see the boy. Where is he? So we tried to find him on the Internet. We couldn't find him. Finally found one Philip Wren in Houston, but that wasn't the right one. So I said, Lord, I don't know where he's at. I've tried. You have him call me. And within a matter of just a few days, he called. And he needed a job. So I put him to work. Handsome young man. Just think how his life's been changed because of one man of faith. Can you imagine what it would be like? I asked him if he had any pictures. That sure I'll ask him if he had any pictures. He said, no. Well, they, we didn't want no pictures of me. Mother didn't want one. I didn't want none. So until he was 11 years old, with all the marks and scars on his body, there's not a single picture of that boy. He didn't want no pictures. Who wants the pictures when you look like that? You want pictures. You want pictures made... You and your wife go out, you get dressed up, you come to church, you got your suit on, you tie, you come home, kids say, hey, let's take a picture of mom and dad. Don't they look beautiful? But you come in out of the garden, and especially your wife, her hair's all tore up, she ain't got no makeup on, nothing. Mom, let me take a picture. Get, get out of here. You ain't dare to take my picture like this, right? But yet she's still beautiful, but she just don't think she is because she, she doesn't want a picture like that. Want pictures when you're beautiful. Is that the way we are? Sure. I had no pictures of that little boy. Father, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for the beauty of this day. I want to thank you for this law book that we have the privilege to carry in our hand. This magnificent book that you made. Lord, thank you for this book. And I praise you for the counsel you give us from this book. That if we read this, we do what you say. And then you said, if we will do what you said, and if your words abide in us and we abide in you, according to John 15:7, you said, then we can come and ask you for anything, and you will do it for us. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you meant that. Now, Lord, help us to convey that to all people, all the church, so they will be able to walk in the same power, so that people around them will know that you live in them, that you're there. And we praise you and thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.